Well, today in your program, you have, um, or this is what we're doing next, our study. Today we're looking at Pentecost. And i am uh, been looking forward to this. Uh, it's a big day. You know, um, for, you know, for my family, I can say that it's something that perhaps I may have not taken the time to study what, what this means. But we're going to take some time today to discuss this event called Pentecost that happened sometime after Jesus' resurrection and also after his ascension to heaven. So in this message, we're going to address a few questions like, what did Jesus actually say to his disciples prior to his leaving? What directions did he give them? Were they, and ultimately we, able to pull off these directions? In addition, it's my hope that we can become more familiar with Scripture in this area uh, than we do. And we'll realize, I think, that we're likely more equipped in our day-to-day -day Christian living than I think we believe we are. So we're going to need to be equipped because he truly had a very important message for them that clearly translates to us. Actually, one that if taken to heart, I truly believe will impact us. <coughs> Excuse me. It will also impact our neighbors. That's right, our neighbors. If we think about it, he currently is in heaven at the Father's right hand, and he will be there until all of his enemies are made his footstool. So as we put some thought into this, there must be a lot of activity here on earth designed to make that happen. Obviously. This is going to involve us. So let's talk about this today. And let's start with these few questions. So number one, what is Pentecost? What is it? And how does it, or maybe better put, how do we contribute to this advancement of his kingdom? So these are a couple of good questions to start. So what I want to do is take a moment and reflect in Leviticus. Um, this actually is where this is going to start. So I'm going to read, I'm actually not reading at the moment, I'm going to talk for a minute, we'll get to reading it here in a minute. In Leviticus 23, the Lord spoke to Moses and he gave him a series of what was called Feasts of the Lord. These feasts were set aside and were considered to be holy. The words used were holy convocation. A holy convocation would be considered a sacred assembly of people. So keep in mind, God's people were frequently scattered abroad. We read throughout the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, where his people are scattered physically across many miles. So what he's telling Moses here is to tell his people, that is God's people, that it is important to gather together at a, at a particular place and at a particular time to stay relationally connected with the Lord and with one another. Scattering abroad doesn't necessarily mean that they had to be strangers. Follow me? With one another, and especially with him. So let's relate for a minute. We all have family reunions. We look forward to them. We reconnect. We keep in touch with those that we care for. 
In a way, we realize a sense of identity, if you're like me, when we do these things. And, of course, there's good food, there's good conversation, and good fun. You know what I mean? Can you relate? So the Lord is calling his people to gather at these feasts. There are many, to name it, but just to name a few, there's a feast of the Passover, we're familiar with this, which is to occur on the 14th day of the first month at twilight. There's a feast of unleavened bread to the Lord, where for seven days you are to eat unleavened bread. In addition to the gathering of his, of his people, each feast carried a specific purpose. And we're not going to go into the other feast's purpose. We're only going to cover this one today, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of First Fruits, or the Pentecost. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day, this opportunity to take some time just to stop. To stop, hear your word. Lord, to hear from you, our Father, our Lord. And I pray that today we would do just that, that we would rest and hear your word. You tell us to take upon us your yoke to come to you. Lord, we're so thankful that here in this room, you've actually come to us. So I pray, God, that we would find rest here, that we would hear your word. Lord, I pray, God, that you would fill whatever gaps that may come from the speaker this morning, that, God, you, by your spirit, would touch people's hearts today so that by the end of the day and by the end of this time, that we would find ourselves to be in a better place in our Lord Christ. So we thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Feast of Weeks. So I'm going to be reading now out of Leviticus. So please stand for the reading of this word. I'm reading out of, Le out of Leviticus 23, 15 through 21. So here we go. And you shall count, starting in verse 15, and you shall count for yourselves... From the day after the Sabbath, from that day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two tenths of, of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer young bull two, and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs for the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them to the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with, two, with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that this is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. So this concludes the reading of this word. So please be seated. So what we have here, in addition to a wonderful calling to gather, is people, is also, a wonderful stage is being set. God here has just created a systematic annual gathering 
of his people to Jerusalem every 50 days after the Passover. Some call it the, the, the week of weeks. That is, take seven weeks of seven days and then meet on the next day. So seven times seven equals 49, and the next day is 50. That's why we call it Pentecost, 50. The, um, from the grouping of five. Pent, as we all know, is the root for five. You can follow me. That's like, for example, the Pentagon in Washington. So for generations, God's people were keeping this festival. They would make the trip from wherever they lived, and they would travel to Jerusalem and would gather, and they would feast together. So who doesn't like a feast? You know, if I saw folks making the journey, and I had no idea where they were going, I would probably ask, where are you going? And will there be any barbecue? I can bring the sweet baby rays. Let me speculate something on this, given that. I bet other folks who weren't his people, quote-unquote, his people, saw this and probably did the same. I wouldn't be surprised if someone who knew that there was a festival involving feasting wouldn't also want to come, wouldn't you? So we'll come back to this in just a few minutes. That's actually a point that we're going to be paying attention to. So let's fast forward for a minute to the time of Christ and observe a more current stage, if you will. Jesus, at this time, and what I'm doing is I'm setting this next stage. At this time, he is now known by his disciples as the risen Messiah. He's already risen from the dead. He has proven to be the Christ who, by the way, has a very pointed mission for them. They've personally seen him risen from the grave, arise from the grave, and have also seen him actually at this point ascend into heaven in what we would consider to be, at least for me, a very extraordinary way. But before he ascended, he took the time and gave them a very important mission. But he also made a very clear point. He said he would actually empower them to perform this mission. So they, in fact, said he, or he, in fact, said he would send a great helper. Actually, he will send the Holy Spirit himself to be this help. Now, how do we know this? Well, we read it in Scripture, so we're going to go there. So we're going to read in two places to capture both his mission and his ascension. In Matthew chapter 28, don't stand here, I'm just going to be reading snippets. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we hear from him about his mission. And then we're going to jump to Acts chapter 1 <coughs> to hear about his ascension. Okay? So Matthew 28. Remember, this has taken place after his resurrection. It's before his ascension. It's after his resurrection now. So 28:18 says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's what he says, Matthew 18, I'm sorry, 28, 18 to 20. This concludes Matthew's reading, so I'm going to go to the book of Acts for the next part, his ascension. He here 
will remind everyone of this mission that he just communicated, but will now tell them the Father will send his great helper, the Holy Spirit, and will tell them all that all of this will happen in a few days. So we're going to read in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. So here we go. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, or witnesses to me, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So, a review here. He had told them some time ago that all authority had been given to him and told them to go and make disciples. He then, at a later time, told them that they would be his witnesses. There should be, just for our, kind of, let's pause here for a moment, there should be a noticeable but subtle difference with these two statements. That is this. The first statement, there was a delivery of a commandment. Go and make disciples. This is something for his people to do, right? But it must be noticed that the second statement was simply making a statement of fact. He said, you will be my witnesses. This is a statement of who they are. Do you catch the difference? One is something that you're doing. One is a statement of who you are. Go and make disciples. You will be my witnesses. Kind of reminds me of something that was stated earlier by Jesus when he made both a statement of fact and a statement of action. Remember this? Remember when he said, you are the salt of the earth? Let's remember together for a moment in Matthew. I'm pulling this out of Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. It says this. Or 13, I'm sorry. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Then it is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Okay, so we read where he told his people that they were salt. But they're supposed to do something with their saltiness. Right? So I know that salt is added to food. And when it is added to food, it gives the food more flavor. Now, salt isn't necessarily inventing the flavor. Right? But it's bringing more flavor. You follow? I don't know of anyone who would like to bag or buy a bag of unsalted potato chips. Any hands for that one? If so, we're going to point you out. Unsalted chips? It's crazy. I'm just saying that's craziness. We're going to talk afterward. <laughs> Add salt to about anything. And whatever that thing is, it will carry more flavor and it will be better. To bring this illustration for a moment back to his statement in Matthew and Acts, they were to be witnesses who would make disciples of the nations. Are you tracking here? 
Salt equals witnesses. Adding flavor or being salty equals making disciples of the nations. Does that make sense? I'm going to say this one more time. They were to be witnesses who would make disciples. We are to be salt. That's adding flavor. Or we are witnesses that are making disciples. Do you follow that difference? I'm going to pause. This is a big job. This isn't small. This is important. This is, there's a lot that's going on here. Let's take a second to relate. Of course, the task can sound large. And what it's going to do, it's going to make me ask a series of questions. <coughs> Tell me if you can relate here. But I'm just me. How could, how could all of this happen? I'm just me. How does a person conjure up saltiness? How do I conjure up saltiness? Or in this context, how does a person become a witness? We've been told this, but how does this happen? Do we hold our breath the right way? Or work real hard or stand on our right foot the correct way while holding our breath? Do we work harder than anyone else? And on and on. You sense how can that happen? So when we look at ourselves and what we can do, just like them, it can drive us to, that, to ask these kinds of questions. How can I be an effective witness? And how am I to make disciples? How can I get this done for him? He just told me to do it. And I don't know how. Can you relate? So let's begin to get to the, to the answer. We'll start by going back to the disciples. Keep in mind, Jesus has just left them. They saw him ascend out of their sight. He's gone now. So don't misunderstand, though. They weren't despondent. They weren't scared here. They had just seen him do things that only God himself can do. He just rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. That's pretty powerful. But that doesn't mean they knew what came next. You follow? That doesn't they don't necessarily have the answers to this point as to how these things can be carried out. But they did have faith in him. And... He said, wait. So they waited. That was step number one. Very important. They listened and they obeyed. So what happened next after they did this? Well, we're going to jump to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read 2 through 13. We're at this feast now, right? Here's our stage. They're at the feast of the Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in their own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these who speak Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from both Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said they are full of new wine. Galileans speaking various languages. So now we're starting to arrive at the main point. In comes the beginning of some of these answers to these questions that we've been asked or been asking this morning. That is, how are we to be effective witnesses and how are we to make disciples? So let's take a few minutes here to discuss this. By the way, let's not forget where this began. They waited. They listened. And they obeyed. The 50th day has been completed for the appointed festival. The day of Pentecost had arrived. The disciples, in obeying their Lord, had waited and were still there. And comes something new to be heard and seen. So this is what happens next. The sound of a mighty wind came to them. So let's think about that for a moment. A mighty wind. Anyone ever heard what a mighty wind sounds like? Picture maybe a major wind storm, maybe a thunderstorm with strong winds, maybe a tornado. I know some folks who are here today that can attest to this type of sound. I hear there is no mistake or no confusion about it. I don't know of anybody who can say, I didn't notice that tornado. I hear it sounds like a freight train. I'm looking, yep. So in this room, I know there is no doubt that a very noticeable and strong room or strong wind became present. So in their room, there was a strong wind, very noticeable, right? So where did this come from? Where did this wind come from? Well, that's a good question. But, you know, Jesus actually gave us a hint about this in an earlier conversation with someone we've all heard, heard about. So we're going to take a short trip to John, chapter 3. So here we're going, to, we're going to get to both the answers to this question, and we're also going to observe a very important application for us all today from this little quick jaunt to John, chapter 3. So John, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. There is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, 
We read here, God's spirit comes in like a wind. We can't see where he's been, and we can't see where he will go, but we can know when he's arrived. So work with me for a moment. Have you ever gone to a really good restaurant? Maybe a steakhouse? And you park your car, and you park downwind of the restaurant, and you can smell the food that's in the building, and you're late here. If you're like me, you're very glad you're at that restaurant. Or maybe you've gone to a restaurant, and you've parked beside the place that's right next door, and you may decide, hey, uh, let's go over there. That's, that's like a breeze. That's a breeze, and it's carried a good aroma. It's a wonderful thing. You follow? This actually, believe it or not, this little example relates. So Jesus here, he had officially arrived. The Holy Spirit had officially arrived at Pentecost, right at the appointed time and place. He came in like a mighty wind and impacted all of God's people right then and right there. They were at this feast, and all of a sudden, they were filled with something other than food. They were filled with his Holy Spirit. We can say that at this point, perhaps, all of those in that room suddenly became salty, or had they, be, or they had become effective witnesses, right? We might be able to say that. I would say that everyone in that room experienced a sudden major change in who they were, they were filled with his spirit and immediately experienced something they had never experienced before. So they were filled with his Holy Spirit. They're now very different than they were before. He not only came in like a mighty wind, but he also did something else, something very important. He has empowered them to do his will. Just as he said some time ago, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's actually what just happened here. You follow me? So let's take a minute here to learn about this empowerment. But before we do that, let's review this stage again, this incredible stage that had been set. Remember the festival? We were talking about this a minute ago, earlier in this message. Remember that discussion involving our family reunions and good food? You remember I might be one of those guys tagging along? Of course, these things can be somewhat attractive to bystanders and observers. I remember making this point and said that we would get back to this. Well, we're here now. Let's realize something about the folks who had just received the Spirit. They started to speak in other languages, native to many parts of the world. They had people who were present whom the, the disciples would probably have said were not a part of God's people. They were just coming to this great festival that had good food. There are some people that were there. Obviously, there are people that were there. This, this whole scripture area uh, illustrates this point. But maybe these people, maybe these people were downwind. Maybe they were God's people too, but they just didn't know it yet, these people. Let's get to that. Of course, they were equally amazed, maybe even more amazed than the disciples. But what happens next demonstrates the miraculous work of God in his people, as they, his people, have now been empowered 
by his spirit actually to be proper witnesses and actually be able to make disciples of not just the folks that they knew, but of other folks for those that they did not know. Even in this case, folks who didn't even speak their language, they could now speak to them, even in their own specific dialect, by the empowerment of God's Spirit. They also now are able to be witnesses and to make disciples. Catch that? Be witnesses and make disciples of folks, even to the ends of the earth right here and right now, very suddenly. So, how did this witness look? They're now a witness. What, what happened next? <coughs> Let's take a minute and we're going to review Peter's address to these people. We're going to, re to these people who were amazed at what they were seeing. So what happened? Let's read and conclude here in Acts chapter 2. It says this in verse, starting in verse 32. And I'll read to verse 41. It says this, Peter's talking. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out his, this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, or know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Dramatic pause. 3,000 were added to them. So Peter who is clearly filled with God's spirit and was salty, took the opportunity to speak with these lost people who were ready to receive Christ as their Savior. And 3,000 souls were suddenly saved right at that appointed feast called Pentecost. That's why we take the time to recognize this day. That's why we're doing this today. God answered the questions about salt. He is actually what makes us salty. He has actually made his abode in his people. That's you and that's me. He came in like a wind to you and to me. He's actually empowered us all to be effective witnesses and to make disciples of the nations. You following me with this? This is what he has done. He has made us witnesses and empowered us to make disciples as we are witnesses an important note he's with you he's been with you even when you did not realize it I'm pause for a moment let's think about that can you take a moment and think about a time when he gave you strength and you didn't realize it at that time 
but now you know that he gave you strength. How did that look? So for me, I remember I had a time where I needed self-control. You know, I mean, I had thousands of those times, just be honest. But you know, that is a fruit of his spirit. Do we know that? That's actually a fruit of God's spirit, self-control. At a circumstance that required help from other people, but nobody would come. I didn't understand it at the time, but knew that I needed to trust God, so I did. Day after day, week after week, month after month passed. And actually the matter continued to worsen. So, you know, having self-control that was needed at that time was actually providing a witness. That was providing a witness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. He was clearly giving strength. I did not know it at the time. So regardless of the outcome here, I know that everything has been comfortably in his hands. And I know that he was with me. So I reflect back, I know it now. By the way, of course, he did send help. And in ways that, you know, to some degrees exceeded my expectation. And that matters, to be sure. But no matter what the outcome, I knew that he was with me. And he was giving me strength. Can you guys relate to that? That is actually our application today. Take a look at our lives, all of us. And let's review our days. He has made us witnesses. That's a statement of being. That's a statement of fact. He's done this. He has made it possible for us to speak directly into the lives of others. Just like the disciples did at Pentecost. He's done that for you and for me. He's done that. So given this... Let's ask a couple of three questions. We're almost done here. Who's come to our feasts? Who's come to our feasts? Who has he provided in our lives? Do we have our own little appointed feast? You follow me? Do we have our own little appointed feast that our mighty Lord has designed for us, but also designed for for others? Do you follow? I would imagine that there are those that are downwind from you. Maybe they are ready to hear his good news. And maybe they are ready to be cut to the heart. Maybe they are actually just like you and me and our brothers and sisters of Christ who will be your future disciple, but they don't know it yet. You follow that? You know, when you do this, you will be filling his great commandment. You'll be fulfilling his great commission. Let's pray. Lord, we're so glad that you make appointments. We're so glad that you've made an appointment with us, each of us. Everybody in this room has been able to experience an appointment with you. I'm so glad for that. And I'm glad, God, that you've done that for all who are in this world. You've gathered people in our lives today 
and tomorrow, and you had them there yesterday. But they were also appointments. And we know, Lord, that you, like the wind, move. I don't see where, I don't see how, but I know it when it happens. And I'm so glad, Lord, that you save us. I'm so glad, God, that you established these times, that you soften hearts, that you move. And when you move, you can blow us around. What a privilege it is to be a witness. What a privilege it is to have <coughs> the work to make disciples. What a privilege, God. That's our calling. So I pray, God, that we would today realize with this example of the Pentecost, of the week of weeks, of the Feast of the First Fruits, the time, God, after 49 days, the 50th day when things are new, you call us to do new things. You call us to do these things that have been appointed in our lives. So I pray, God, that we would be empowered by your Spirit, God, and we're so glad that you do this. We pray, God, that you would today and this week and this month ahead, Lord, keep us mindful of these things. Let us know, Lord, that it is you who make all the difference. It is you who empower us, you appoint us, you give us things to do, but God, it's all about you. You make it possible. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.